tonight, Acts chapter 6, as we continue our, uh, through, the, through this book. It's been, a, <laughs> been, been a, a minute since we've been in this uh, book because of not being here on Sunday nights, but want to pick this back up and uh, read a text tonight and uh, be, hopefully be a help to us and instructive to us. As a, once a deacon and a pastor who had been really good friends for a long time and uh, one day the deacon got sick and was taken to the hospital and so the preacher decided to go visit his friend and, and uh, walked into the hospital room and the uh, preacher, of course, as you do, he go into the room, he noticed the, all the hoses and the things coming out of his mouth and uh, saw that he was going to be unable to talk, but he went and kneeled beside his bed and, and asked, how are you doing? Uh, the deacon pointed to a piece of paper on the dresser beside and motioned for him to hand over the piece of, uh, piece of paper and the pen, and so he did pad a paper and pen, and he begins to just write frantically, and then he died, just right there on the spot, right in front of the preacher. At the funeral, the uh, pastor's giving the service, as many good words to say, and then he remembered and said, you know, I was with brother so-and-so in his last moments. In fact, he wrote something down. He says, I have his last words right here, and hadn't even opened it because of all the uh, the, the, the fuss that was going on, and he opened up the piece of paper and he read, you're standing on my oxygen hose. Okay. Got to laugh or they just get worse and worse, all right? Sometimes, sometimes, uh, especially when preachers get together, uh, deacons can be a little demonized, and, and uh, I've heard it, I'm sure you've heard it in preachers' meetings and, and uh, jokes made about them, and there's kind of a, sometimes a, uh, I guess you could say a, 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 uh, a problems in between deacons and pastors. And as, as I'm sure with every group of people, there are uh, bad ones, but I'm grateful that here at Bible Baptist Church, we have a tremendous men of integrity as our deacons. And tonight, we're going to read about deacons and uh, how they were started and what led to them being instituted in the local church. I have at no time seeing the deacons that we have here at our church as a roadblock or a burden to any part of the ministry of this church. Uh, they've always encouraged me. They've always worked diligently for, the, for our church, and I'm grateful for that. And uh, so I want to look tonight at the, at the purpose and the reason and uh, some of the circumstances in which deacons were first chosen uh, in the local church. Let's start reading verse number 1. And in those days, we're in Acts 6, and in those days, when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorius, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, and they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Father, I pray you'd help us in these next few minutes. Again, we, as mentioned this morning, we're grateful to be able to meet together tonight, and I know many are watching online as well. May we be uh, challenged out of your word this evening, in Jesus' name, 
Amen. The Bible says in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, the early church was growing, and it was growing fast. If you've noticed in the first parts of uh, the first chapters of the book of Acts, we've already read how the church was added to it. It mentioned here the church was added to there. They were added to the church, so many people. But now it has moved from addition to multiplication. Uh, addition or, or multiplication is better than addition, amen, when it comes to the church uh, growing. One of the truths that we have to remember is both the Lord and the devil are master mathematicians. The Lord is all about addition and multiplication. The devil is all about subtraction and division. He'll always try to do that uh, in the local church. So here, people were flocking to the church. Many were becoming disciples. Uh, now remember, the primary meeting place was still the temple. And so the evidence of this growth uh, was very clear to the priests, uh, high priests and company, all those folks. Uh, would be a daily source of frustration to them. And, uh, but they, even though they were growing, it did not solve their problems. In fact, we've often heard it said, more people, more problems. And that's usually the case because of how uh, people are. We're not perfect. We are imperfect people. So uh, once again, Satan here is attacking the church from within. We've talked about that before as well. Uh, attacks from without the church tend to grow it. Attacks from within the church are much more destructive than attacks from without. And so he's already tried this with Ananias and Sapphira. That was squelched. And now he is attacking again from within the church. This time it's involving many more than just two people. Now a small thing will cause a great commotion when underlying differences already exist. You ever notice that with folks? Uh, when there's already a problem between two people or more people, uh, then the smallest things can become big things. And so it's, it behooves us to have that unity. Church divisions often come from things that don't matter all that much. When you trace most church conflicts back to their origins, you'll find sometimes they're... they're Silly and small issues. One I read uh, of one Colorado church who had a full-on split. It ended up in two congregations. The problem arose when the deacons budgeted money to hang a praise banner in front of the auditorium. It contained the word hallelujah. A faction rose up about, or two factions rose up arguing about how hallelujah ought to be spelled. So one group said it needed to be spelled H-A-L-L, -L. it's hard for me to do it uh, in my head, so H-A-L-L-E-L-U-J-A-H. -L -L -E the others said A-L-L-E-L-U-I-A. -L -L -E so hallelujah uh, versus hallelujah. Uh, petitions were drawn up. Uh, meetings were held. Threats were received from both sides. One man firmly in the hallelujah group uh, had a rock thrown through his window. On the rock was attached a note. You know what it said? Hallelujah. Trying to get him to change his mind. Both sides were adamant. It had to be done their way. One uh, hallelujah supporter uh, said, or one hallelujah supporter said, it makes a tremendous difference when you see the banner spelled wrong. And H at the beginning, nobody spells it that way anymore. Evelyn Haney, 57. She said, I was so sick about it, I couldn't sleep. She had carried a sign during the picketing phase. It's not, she also said, it's not some, something where I question their salvation, but at times you have to wonder. The two churches now meet in separate school auditoriums. Each have fashioned their own banner. One person said, worship is so much better now. 
Now, we laugh about that, but how often is something like that the case, where trouble is uh, just traced back to something really, really silly and mundane and it doesn't matter? Church dissensions are created more often because of wronged feelings than Bible doctrine. Actually, if you want to get statistical about it, it's like 95% compared to 5%. Uh, and so this is why much is written in the Bible about these type of things, and here we have one. Uh, it says, there rose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Now, just to set the table and understand who our players are here, there are two kinds of Jews in the early church. You have the Hellenist Jews and the Hebrew Jews. The Hebrews were Aramaic-speaking. Aramaic uh, they were mostly native-born Palestine. And then you had the Greek-speaking Jews. That's the, the Hellenist Jews. They were products of the dispersion from years and years before. And uh, the, the Hebrews were much more strict. They had all their rules, they had no interests outside their own groups, where the Hellenist Jews were a little more, and I don't say worldly as in sinful, but just worldly as in they weren't so close-minded. Uh, they embraced a little bit more of Gentile culture. Now, this tension had come into the church. Uh, the concern was that the poor in the church were being neglected. Wealthy men like Barnabas had donated their estates uh, to the common fund to take care of, of them. Now, of course, mentioned specifically was widows, because widows would make up the primary group of the poor in question that day. The ones in control of this charity evidently were the Hebrew sect, and so the Hellenist believers were uh, accusing them of not being fair to their widows. The result was tension. It was strife. There were cliques that gathered because of this. Don't forget, Satan's goal in churches is always twofold. It is to divide the membership and discourage the leadership. That's always Satan's goal in a local church. Here, thank God, he was not successful uh, because of the wisdom of the apostles. They had a meeting. The Bible says, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them. They were determined to nip this in the bud and take care of it early on before it became a bigger problem. You always have to do that. And they had the authority to make a decision, but they wisely chose to involve the church. Now, the, this is the generally accepted introduction of deacons to the local church. I know there's argument about it. We're not even going to discuss that tonight, but there's some that say this wasn't deacons, and there's some that say this is when they, they're not called deacons in this particular passage, and I'm not going to make that the point of our, our lesson tonight, but there is a model here in which these men were chosen to help. Uh, I personally believe that this is where deacons were introduced. That is my personal belief, uh, but you know, if you disagree, everybody has a right to be wrong. Amen? So uh, we just go forward with that. But this is a new stage in the development of the early church. Uh, what was lacking was supply. Here we see a principle of the division of labor that is so essential to the efficiency of a local church. Now, the biblical account is quite clear on the, on the founding of the deaconship here that it was a benevolence ministry. Nowhere in Scripture does the Bible deviate or repeal the original purpose of deacons. By the way, Paul lists the office of the deacon, and no place does he list it as a board of deacons. 1 Timothy 3, 10-13. The local church is not ruled by a board, it is led by a pastor. Deacons are never called to be overseers of a church with authority over the pastor. I say that because many, many places, that's how churches are run 
these days. There's no question that the local church is to be ruled by elders, and that's the Bible term today we call it uh, pastor. The local church is not a democracy. It is led by, it is to be ruled by spirit-appointed leaders. Now, that being said, any pastor is a fool who tries to turn this into a dictatorship. Many have tried, and it's always disastrous, uh, because uh, it's just, it's, that's not how it's meant to be either. But here we have a blending of, of apostolic authority with congregational activity, and it was a wise move on their part. We, I believe, as well as we can, the Independent Baptist Church of today has modeled itself after this model, and it's biblical, and I believe it's right, and I believe that it has worked very well, and that's why we continue it. So in this meeting, they made a motion. It says, it's not ne reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, this is just plain common sense. Uh, and I want to make a statement now. I want you to think about this as we introduce the concept of deaconship into the local church. There is no point in the apostles doing what anybody could do when they are doing the work that nobody else could do. Think about that for just a second. The apostles were doing, their main job was to do what nobody else could do, and so it is not, that's why they said is no is reason. It just goes to reason that they then should not be tied up in things that anybody could do. I believe that applies to the pastor today as well. It's not a position, uh, a question of position, but of priorities. In other words, I do not believe for a minute the apostles thought they were above this type of work, or this is below my station, uh, beneath them to do church business. It's just simply a matter of putting first things first. I want to make that clear as well uh, as far as the pastorship goes because a pastor can become a very much a do-everything position. And uh, I don't believe pastors above anything. I don't, certainly don't believe I'm above anything. I've cleaned toilets and I have cleaned feces off the wall and I won't even go into the disgusting jobs I've done, okay? Uh, pulled weeds and done all kinds of things and, and I don't mind that at all, but at the same time, I understand that's not my prime purpose. That's not my main purpose here at Bible Baptist. So I must spend adequate time in the Word of God to be able to do what God has called me here to do. Does that make sense? So here's where the apostles were. It's not, it's not appropriate for us to leave the Word and do all this business when there are people that are very much uh, able to do that job for them. Serving tables was important. Uh, doing what these men were chosen to do was important. And since the apostles could not do everything, they would concentrate on what they were called to do, that is study and preach the Word. I think this is vitally important because I, I see it in ministries today where... Uh, there, where there's a, this is not in a good balance, and I appreciate that balance here at our church. Uh, the Bible says, verse 3, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom may, we may appoint over this business. Now, I do take some issue today at how many churches choose their deacons. I've been on staff in two ministries prior to this one as an assistant. Uh, I was also a deacon for five years in, in my, the first ministry that I served. You met my pastor last year, Pastor Jackson. Uh, and I've seen it diff done different ways in how the choosing of men is done for deacons. Here's some of the statements I've heard when we've talked about possible people for the position of the deacon. He's a good one. He'll give you the shirt off his back. He's good with money. 
and my personal favorite. Well, he's all we've got to choose from. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty sad one there. Uh, and those, the, all those are good things, but they're not, they're, you don't find them in Acts chapter 6. Amen? The qualifications of Acts chapter 6 here was not uh, business, business acumen or expertise. It was not financial success. It's not organizational skills. And nowadays, these are qualities that many churches look for, and I couldn't disagree more. Now, it's all right to have these things, and really, all these things are important, but not to the exclusion of the spiritual, which is where they put their focus. Because a successful man might not be a spiritual man. Could we all agree on that one tonight? And a spiritual man might not necessarily be a sensible man. We can probably agree on that too. And so the apostles had some significant standards. I'm going to look at the criteria here, and then uh, I think that it helps us to understand just who is the right man for that job. First, they said he had to be a good man. Look ye out among you seven men of honest report. This is important. Honest report, the Bible says. That literally, literal translate, or the literal meaning of the original word there is to be a witness to bear witness. These are men that have a good name. They have a good character. People know, uh, people know them, and they have a good testimony in front of the other folks. And what a blessing it is to have a good testimony. In Hebrews 11.5, it is said of Enoch, he had a testimony that he pleased God. In Hebrews 11.4, it says of Abel, he obtained witness that he was righteous. In Acts 10.22, Cornelius is said to be a man of good report among all the nation of the Jews. In Acts 16.2, Timothy was well reported of by the brethren. Hey, it's an important thing to have a good testimony. I think it's especially important in any type of position in a local church. It means something when we carry ourselves right, when we evidence Christ in our lives. Paul said that for a good man, some would even dare to die, Romans chapter 5, verse 7. And this was their first uh, criteria. He had to be a good man. He had to be a man who had the respect of others because of personal integrity and character. Uh, he should be a man who lived a clean life and lived unselfishly and lived for others. This was the type of person they looked for. He had to be a good man. Secondly, he had to be a godly man, uh, full of the Holy Ghost. Now, I've seen, and you probably have too if you've spent any time in church, where successful men are put into a position mainly because they're successful and uh, no thought is given to their godliness. And that always comes back to bite the church in the end. Godliness is more important than any worldly wisdom that somebody might have. Again, look, business acumen is great. I think that's important too, and we'll get to that in a minute. But godliness is what they said. I love the fact that in our deacons' meetings, and, and you can't sit in our deacons' meetings for a couple of you, but in our deacons' meetings, uh, I see it constantly. Personal agendas are set aside. Uh, the questions asked, what does God want? What's the best for our church? And I think that that's a blessing to have men that think that way. First Timothy 6.6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness must come before personal desire. So, they said you had to be a good man. Number two, you had to be a godly man. And then, you have to be a gifted man, full of wisdom. Now, not all men, not all good men, and not all godly men are wise. I'm, not, I'm trying to be careful here. I don't want to be insulting to anybody, but we probably all know well-meaning, sincere men that love God, and you love them, and they love you, and you wouldn't let them manage your chicken house. You know what I'm saying? I mean, not, not just, just not 
put good to manage something. I'm not trying to be mean, but that's just the case for some folks and, and just the way that is. But here, this had to be men who could make sensible decisions, full of wisdom. These were the practical applications. Notice that this one's last. It's still important, but first good, first then godly, uh, and then at lastly with the ability that came in. Now, I believe firmly that no man has any right to the office of deacon that does not have these three qualifications. I really believe that. And I've seen many that have held the office that could not fall. In the, and we, we've gotten into being faithful. I think faithfulness is a big part of this as well. But I'm happy to say that, that, that these are the men we have at Bible Baptist Church. See, I couldn't preach a message. If, if one of our deacons was a bum, I, I probably couldn't preach a message like this. <laughs> it would be offensive. But they're not. Amen? So we can... They're all good, so we can uh, say, preach this with confidence. It's no wonder that you never hear of this problem again in this text because they took care of it. And that's a blessing when you have people who uh, handle the problem. So there was, uh, then let's look at the resolution. The whole, and the saying pleased the whole multitude. The suggestion of the apostles was so rational that it was approved unanimously by the church as a whole. Let's look at the men. They chose Stephen, the Bible says, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorius, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. So here's an interesting thing. The dispute was between the Hebrews and the Hellenists. The Hellenists had complained of, and by the way, this might have been real, and it might have been imagined. We don't even know that. Do you know lots of complaints in a church aren't real? Sometimes. Maybe I shouldn't say lots, but many times. Many times the complaints in a church are imagined. Uh, somebody taking something wrong. So doesn't even mention that. doesn't matter if it was real or imagined. Guess what? An imagined problem has to be taken care of just like a real problem. And so they did. But here's an interesting thing. They chose all the deacons they chose here. All the men they chose had Hellenist names, which this suggests that they were all Greek-speaking Jews. And that's a pretty generous act. You say, what's the big deal with that? Well, let me give you a present-day example. It is as if today you had a southern church where there was a mix of blacks and whites, and the blacks would complain of discrimination, and so there were, the whole church, without hesitation, would uh, appoint an all-black board of administrators. That's kind of what we're talking about here. That's, uh, that was a very generous thing that they did there. They first mentioned here Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. Now, he's going to demonstrate that, uh, next Sunday, we talk about him. Next is Philip. Now, this isn't the Apostle Philip. This is Philip the deacon, Philip the evangelist. We'll read more of him in the future as well. His evang evangelistic gifts are going to be made, uh, made plain very soon in the church here. These two men exemplify 1 Timothy 3.13, that they have used the office of a deacon well, purchased to themselves a good degree the great boldness in the faith which is in Jesus Christ. Stephen became the first martyr of the church. Philip became the first missionary of the church. A Prochorius is not so well known. According to tradition, he was the secretary to the apostle John, uh, then a bishop, and then finally also a martyr. We don't know anything about the last four that were listed, but this proves the whole point of deacons. I think it's wonderful that you even have that as an example because many deacons are just like that. They don't make a fuss. They just quietly serve in the background 
and much work is done, but not much fuss is made. And what a blessing that is uh, for people that can be found faithful in the background, not tooting their horns, just doing the work of God. How much work of the Lord is done in our churches today by men who are just found faithful? That's a blessing. And uh, that's exactly who we see here. find it interesting that the last guy wasn't even a Jew. He was a Gentile that they chose uh, to be a deacon here. And then look at verse number 6. Whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Now the laying on of hands was a common Jewish practice. Uh, In the Old Testament, when they brought a sacrifice to the altar, they would identify with their offering by laying their hands on the head of their sacrifice. Leviticus chapter 1 verse 4. The apostles were identifying themselves with these delegates in that way. Uh, They did not pass on any special gift or unction or power. Uh, The seven were already qualified before they were chosen for the position. Now, I could stop and part there for a while because that's another uh, belief that will hold strongly. I had a pastor tell me, I had a discussion with a former pastor and and, uh, a, a man had come up for deacon and I just... There was some things that were questionable about the testimony, and so I, I, pastor was pastor. I never, I just sometimes express my opinion, but I uh, just questioned. He said, you know, I agree he has, he has a long way to go, but I think if we give him the position, it'll maybe make him want to serve. Better. I just don't agree with that at all. I believe that a person is qualified, then put into position. You see what I'm saying? Uh, we don't put somebody uh, that doesn't come to church on Sunday and make him a Sunday school teacher so that hopefully they'll come. You know what I'm saying? So these were already qualified, and, uh, and so they were put into that place. They just, uh, apostles gave them a public endorsement to serve on their behalf and on the behalf of the whole. The leadership, that failed here because of how the apostles handled it, because they had good men in the church who were ready to get behind them and help them with the work. Hallelujah, with an H, amen? That's the proper way to spell it. The leaders... The leaders were more encouraged now because they had uh, opportunity to spend more time devoted to their work. The members were now more united than ever because the rift had been resolved. Boy, I love it when Satan's plans get thwarted. I just love to see that in Scripture. So let's look at the result. Verse number 7, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples, there's the word again, multiplied, in Jerusalem greatly. How this must have infuriated the Sanhedrin. Every convert to this new cult, as they called it, weakened their position. The love and unity in this church made it possible for the Holy Spirit to pour out an even greater blessing. Incidentally, that's still true today, friend. That's still how a church is has impact in the community. That's still how a church wins souls, by healing the rifts, uh, uniting together, and moving forward. And it is made possible by godly leadership in the church. Thank God for these seven men. Thank God in Bible Baptist for our deacons today. I praise the Lord for them often. Luke does not say that the disciples in Jerusalem multiplied here, or only say that, he says they multiplied greatly. You get a group of people unified in the Lord, loving one another, people are attracted to it. They are. Uh, That's what the Bible uh, instructs us in John 13, 35. 
By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And then the Bible goes on to say, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, when you start leading priests to Christ, that's a, that's a great thing right there. And it's no wonder. More than anyone, they knew that old-fashioned Judaism was finished. Don't forget that not long before this, they had gone to the temple to trim the lamps in the holy place. All at once, they stopped cold in their tracks as they looked in front of them at that curtain they always saw that separated them from the Holy of Holies. And it had been torn from top to bottom. No human hand could have done it. Uh, the Jew, no Jew would have dared to commit that type of sacrilege. The veil was as thick as a man's hand. It was impossible to tear anyway. But the fact was, the veil was rent. And it wasn't rent from bottom to top. It was rent from top to bottom. For the first time, the priests could look into the holiest of all and see that sacred ark. They could see where for generations the only the high priest would go in on the day of atonement and sprinkle blood. They had to just stand there and stare. Think about that day. We don't often think about how that was received. For a while, I mean, these priests aren't stupid. They, they know that thing was rent at the time that Jesus died. The moment Jesus died, that rent, uh, veil was rent in two. For a while they resisted the evidence, but now many of them were being saved. The Bible says added to the church. And again, it's not lost on me that this happened in response, lack of a better term, to a well-oiled church. One that is led by the Spirit. A, we had a problem, and problems in a church is like, play, you ever play whack-a-mole? You know, you have that little hammer, and they just keep popping, and you just keep whacking them all. That's how problems in a church are. You just got to keep whacking them down once in a while. And here one popped up. We just had one chapters before with Ananias and Sapphira. I had to take care of that one. Now they have to take care of another problem here. And so uh, they take care of the problem. They get back to where they need to be. Get the focus. Their focus did not divert. There was an issue. Let's solve it. Let's resolve it. Let's move forward. Love it. Love it when Satan tries to throw a wrench in the church and it gets defeated because the men of God in the church. When you have a church that has a unified force, it will have a tremendous impact. In fact, there is no greater power in a local church than this. I read again, John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. What a blessing, huh? Uh, these, I, I, read, I read this, and it's a, it's a great thing when you can see similarities uh, between how things were handled in the early church and even what we have in our church today. And I praise God for the men that we have, not only our deacons, but many other men in our church that uh, love the Lord, lead their families, and I am grateful for it. So a uh, little shorter tonight because I didn't want to get into Stephen. Uh, just start it. We'll, we'll start talking about him a little bit more next week. Uh, but uh, that, that's all we'll have for this evening. We'll close in a word of prayer. But I just want to challenge you. Uh, by the way, you know, we, we talk about this being some of the qualifications for a deacon. These aren't bad qualifications for all of us to live by, amen? And every single one of us ought to uh, try to live by these, uh, by, by these standards that were set forth. And uh, maybe, you know, you see the Lord use you in a greater way if you try to uh, take these things on in your life. So, Father, we're grateful for the...